morning. Easter's over. Did you discover that in the middle of the week? Somewhere along the line, Easter is over. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that in a moment, but i got to take care of business first. Uh, Jason, are you guys going to the game today? Okay. So what time do you have to be out of here? Yeah, because I haven't had a chance to preach in a while. My wife... Uh, my wife worked last night delivering babies all night, and she said, I'll, I'll manage to stay up if you promise to make it short. So we'll, we'll, see, how that, we'll see how that goes. But, um, yeah, just to uh, take care of some quick business, we'd love at Fellowship Christian Athletes, we had a fun event this coming Saturday. Um, Seahawk legend Jim Zorn is going to be doing an event with us uh, down at the University of Washington area this week. Uh, we'd love to have you come. Uh, you know, you could talk to Jason or, or you could talk to Jake back there, and they can get you connected with me if you want information about it. Fun event. God is doing remarkable things on the University of Washington campus. No, you didn't hear anything I just said. God is doing remarkable things on the University of Washington campus. Now, you need to know... That is a state university in one of the most liberal communities in the United States. We are convinced that God is not working in King County, and I'm here to tell you God is alive and well and doing remarkable things. I, I like that. Whatever, that's cool. That was Justin doing this snap thing, whatever that is. That's cool. We, for, so just give, I'll give you one example. Uh, right at the holiday season uh, this year, 16 University of Washington baseball players gave their life to Jesus for the first time. And these athletes are meeting on Monday evenings at this house that we have um, in, the, in the U District. So we'd love to have you come just hear a little bit about that, if that works out in your schedule. And if not, we've got a whole bunch of other things going on. I mean, Jake's got us hooked up with, with Ryan Donato of the Kraken, and we're going to be doing an event with Ryan here. And, you know, thanks to Jake getting us hooked up. Um, that's hockey by the way, for some of you who have no idea what that sport is. So, okay. All right. I was going to sit down, but I, w- I won't. No, 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 it's okay. Because I won't say sitting down very long. No, it's, yeah. It won't, yeah. All right. All right. That was really good. With that, let's just pray and go home. Okay. How many of you remember the first flight you ever took? Any of you remember the first flight you ever were on? Have all of you had an opportunity to, to fly on an airplane, or maybe some of you have not had that opportunity yet? Most of you had a chance to fly on an airplane. Um, I can remember my first flight, I was a senior in high school. Now, I'm really old, and it was not a prop plane, however, it was a jet. Uh, I was a senior in high school, and I was on a recruiting trip. Um, I was being, yes, a million years ago, all of this was here, you know, and it was all more proportioned than it was, and I was actually an athlete at one point in time, and I was on a recruiting trip to college, and that's my first time on an airplane, and it was really, really early in the morning. We got there, and I didn't know what to anticipate, so we got on this this will tell you how long ago it was. It was Eastern Airline. Yeah, long, long, long gone. Eastern Airline, and we get on, we get on the airplane, you know, and they're, and they're telling us to strap in and all these different kind of things. And I'm thinking, you know, how difficult, what is this going to be like? 
So we get at the end of the runway, and, it, and the pilot comes on and said, hey, we've been cleared to take off, and like, boom! If you remember that sensation for the very first time, you are thrown back in your seat, pressed back, and you are like screaming down the runway, right? Yeah? And if you're on there for the very first time, you keep wondering, when are we actually going to go up? Because it feels like we've got to be running out of runway here. You know, we're going a long, long way. We're going really, really fast. Finally, the thing goes up, and it's like, I don't know, you get this weird sense almost like this out-of-body kind of thing where, where you're floating in the air. And then they don't tell you this in advance. Your ears plug up, and you got to kind of like that or chew gum or something to make your ears pop and all those different kind of things. But then you get up, and I, was, I flew out of Buffalo, New York, the only place that's more cloudy and dark all winter long than Seattle is Buffalo, New York except we get a lot of snow back in Buffalo. So this was in January. So we, we go flying and we're taking off, and then we got above the clouds. H- have you ever been there when you break through? And it's sunny, and it's beautiful. And it was like, this is unbelievable. Then you have to land. Now, I don't know, maybe you enjoy landing. I don't enjoy landing nearly as much as I enjoy taking off. You know, you kind of bump a little bit, you hit some air pockets and things like that, and, you're, and then when you manage to get down on the runway, you hit. You know that, that noise where the tires kind of squeak and squeal a little bit, and they hit there? And then they put the thrusters of the engine, like going back as hard as they can, and you suddenly have a moment with Jesus where you're thinking, remember how the runway got short? taken off, it's getting a lot shorter when you're landing. It's like, is this thing ever going to slow down? And I don't know about you. Have you noticed pilots, they go really, really slow when they're taxiing out to the runway? But when they're landing, they just kind of get it notched back a little bit, and suddenly they're making a turn down the runway. And it's like, are we going to flip over? Anyway, it's a really interesting experience in your first flight. Maybe you kind of marveled at that. Well, my question is, how does something that marvelous get to be so mundane? How many of you have flown quite a few times since that first flight? How many of you have lost the romance of air travel? (sighs) Thank you, TSA, for all the experience that we get to have there. And I know, you know, any of you work for TSA? Okay, I want to be careful what I said before I said it. Because you may be waiting for me next time I go down there. But, you know, if you fly a lot, and and since that first flight, I've had an opportunity to fly a lot, and sometimes quite a bit for business at a certain period in my life. and, And the romance was just gone. Now if I get on the airplane, it's can I get through as quick as I can through TSA, get spend as little time as I possibly can at the gate, get on the airplane, get to where I need to get, get off. Are you there? Are you know that? I mean, it is, it's not quite the experience that it once was. Um, and then with the mask thing, and, you know, that's a whole different topic. But I, I keep wondering, how did something so marvelous, almost miraculous, become so mundane? And it caused me to think of Easter. That's probably how my mind works. 
how did something so marvelous, so miraculous, well, the reality is maybe by Wednesday becomes kind of mundane, right? I mean, so I started speculating. I'm just going to sit on the edge. Can I do it? I'm going to sit on the edge. Were you got, how many were here last week? Were you all here last week? I thought Keith for sure was coming off the front edge of the, of the thing. He blindfolded himself, and he was like hanging off the edge. And I thought, this is going to be so cool. <laughs> if he comes, does a nosedive off there, it's going to be so much fun. So I'm just going to sit here for a second. And so I was pondering this week. I was thinking about how, did this, how does this get to be this way? Um, last Sunday was pretty exciting, was it not? For those of us that have been in ministry for a while, last week was the Super Bowl. I mean, that was it. And it was exciting. And we were in here and we we're singing and we got some hands going on and some clapping and some things like that. Naturally, right? It's, it's a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, triumph of over death to life and providing us eternal life, right? Pretty exciting day. And we're pretty enthused by that. And then sometimes I wonder, though, you know, because maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but by Wednesday I felt like I was back in the grind and the resurrection was way behind me. And I think even Keith suggested last week, sometimes maybe we don't live like we live in light of the resurrection. And that's not a condemnation. It's just, it's just part of the reality, right? So I was thinking about how did we get there? How, do, how does that happen? And I wonder if, like flying, we've just heard the story so much. There's nothing new to it. Can I just, there's nothing new to the Easter story. You've been around church for any length of time. You've heard it how many times? Over and over and over and over and over again. I mean, there's nothing particularly new about it. And it was pretty exciting the first 30 times you heard it. But maybe not as exciting now when it's kind of stale or whatever. And I wonder sometimes if the Easter story, or pulling it out of the Scripture, gets a little bit like just pulling out an old dusty book off a shelf. And you pull it out once a year, because that's what you do, and you read it, and it's interesting, and we get together, and we, we, we kind of rub ourselves up and have an exciting moment, and then we put it back on the shelf until next year. That may not be the case for all of you. I'm just making honest confession to you. Sometimes that's how it feels like for me, or how I'm living. I feel like I'm often living on Wednesday after Easter and some of those realities kind of pressing in. And so I, wonder, I keep wondering, how did the miraculous become so mundane? So maybe it's, maybe it's old. How about this one? Have you, you ever get pressed in by the things of life? How many of you have a job? How many of you don't have a job? We'll talk, Maddie, afterward about we got we got to work for you because are both stressors. If you have a job or if you don't have a job, can they be stress? Can that be stressful? Yeah, I mean it just is. Um, how many of you work for a, a boss that's a jerk? Now, careful, the boss may be sitting next to you, so be careful. Any of you work for a boss that's a jerk? Yep. <laughs> I know it. That's what I was just thinking. I'm the boss, so I, you know, I, I got it. I, I hear that. And sometimes it's stressful. I, I work in ministry, 
And Fellowship of Christian Athletes, our mission is to lead every, church, every coach and athlete to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ and his church. Well, I got news for you. There are days on Wednesday when I feel like the last thing that I do is that. I'm trying to hire staff. I'm trying to train the staff. We are like a missions organization, so we're constantly raising money. That is a forever on my brain. How am I going to raise money? I've got, all these, I've got all these energetic young people that are on our staff, all these 20-somethings. They are great in so many ways. They're energetic and they're passionate and they're stupid all at the same time. <laughs> no, they really are. I mean, they don't mean to be stupid. They just don't know. They don't know what they don't know. And so I'm sitting there sometimes wondering, huh, how am I going to keep them from self-destructing? Oh, because in case you don't know it, this business here that we're involved with in the kingdom of God and advancing his kingdom, we get a little bit of pushback from the enemy. Spiritual warfare is real, friends. And so all these these wonderful, young, passionate, I want to go do something for Jesus kind of people, and I want to march into hell with a squirt gun, and I can take it over and things. You need to understand there will be pushback. And it may be really, really challenging, and part of my heart aches for them because, again, Brother John, you and I have been doing this for a while. At some, some point in time, the enemy rears his ugly head, you get kicked in the teeth. Justin, you've had some of that recently, have you not? With some pushback on giving away coffee, of all things. Because we forget that this is really spiritual warfare very often. And so I forget that sometimes because I'm busy raising money and hiring people and doing all this other kind of stuff and putting together programs and and things like that. And so I got to tell you, Easter feels like it's so far in the rearview mirror many days. Am I the only one? Or maybe some of you can, don't raise your hand, but maybe a couple of you can identify with what I'm talking about. Okay, you got a job? or you don't have a job. How many of you got family? Anybody got kids? Resurrection is way over now for you. I mean, can we just be honest? The kid thing never ends. Put your fingers in your ears. I'm going to talk about you. No. If you have young children, they're challenging. Correct? Little ones. And then they get a little bit bigger, and you're thinking but we'll probably make it through this. And then they become teenagers. And you're thinking, that's got to be the worst. I mean, let's be, can we be honest? Teenagers, really? Middle schoolers. I'm going to tell you something you may not know. I also teach high school. And I also coach high school football but I refuse to coach freshmen because I don't want to go to prison. (laughs) Seriously, ninth grade boys? Are there any ninth grade boys in here? No, they'd have to be out of bed. (laughs) Ninth grade boys, personal hygiene? It's like a suggestion. 
remind me, Maddie, what grade? Eighth grade. Ninth grade, what is it? Am I, am I telling the truth? Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. They make me gag. I know it. But you gotta be, you're sitting there thinking, this is the worst. This is as bad as it can get. Oh, no. I have four, I want to say adult children. I have four children that don't live in my home. I wish they were three again. Not because they, they're huggable and things like that, because back then, if you give them a quarter, you could really satisfy a lot of their needs with, a, with 25 cents. 25 grand doesn't get it done now. <laughs> Mom and dad have become the perpetual ATM. Sir, anybody know what I'm talking about? You've heard, you, you know, yeah, yeah. Just wait. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't come to an end. And so, but then not just that kind of stuff. How many, again, how many of you have kids? You love your kids? You want them to do well, make good life choices, and, and follow Jesus, and, and be good independent thinkers, and those kind of things? And so, if that's your heart's desire, just be aware that you're going to be up in the middle of the night, probably for the rest of your life, with concern for your kids, even once they are adults and living on their own. You can answer, it's okay. <laughs> Mine just went off. That's so funny. It's one of my kids. What are, what are, the, what are, what are the chances? Yeah. But we all know that, right? And it can be challenging. We love our kids. We're praying for them. We're, we're, we're trying to do their best. But can we be honest? When we remember when we were back that age, those of us that have been around for a little bit of time, we're just praying that they don't do the things that we did when we were at that stage of our lives. Because we all have a little bit of history of being self-destructive. Somebody say amen, because that's why we need Jesus. So all that kind of stuff keeps pushing the message of Easter back a little bit further and further and further. And every day you feel a little further away from it until you kind of dust it off next year and you kind of do the thing and, or whatever. No, those were, the, those were my thoughts. Those, those were the thoughts that I w- was pondering on this week. And, and I don't know if they're right or not. I just was sharing some of those. Jesus has a couple thoughts. Just a couple. I, well, I only wanted to share just a couple. <laughs> just, just a couple. This is in Revelation chapter 2, if you happen to have your Bible. Revelation chapter 2 or your app, or whatever, however it is that you look at Scripture. Um, Revelation chapter 2. This is not just the resurrected Christ. This is the glorified Christ. This is Christ after he is ascended, and then he's given a message to his boy John, who at this time is not a, a young man anymore. He's an old man. He's on the island prison of Patmos, and he has this revelation of, of the Messiah, of Christ in his, all of his glory. And he said, hey, John, I want you to take this message to the seven churches in Asia Minor. And here's the very first one. It's a letter to the church in Ephesus. Okay? Y- you all have it? Okay. All right. 
So he says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Boom! Wouldn't it be great if the story ended there? I mean, that'd be a great lesson, great letter from Jesus. You know, thank you for all you're doing. You're hanging in there. I'm proud of you. Oh, no! He doesn't finish up there. He goes on to say in verse 4, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in paradise, in the paradise of God. There's some interesting stuff there. I'm just going to throw this out. And, and you, you have to decide if any of this is applicable to you or to our, our congregation or anything like that. But he said, hey, you know what? Jesus says to the church there in Ephesus, you're doing great on this whole perseverance thing. You're hanging in there. I know how difficult it is. And, and you hold on to these convictions as to what is right and what belongs in the kingdom of God. You go, well done. You hit a home run, man. I'm so proud of you. But we got a problem. The problem is, now this is the Dave Banks paraphrased version that I'm about to give you. The problem that we have, Jesus is saying, is you know how you're hanging in there and, and you stand against all the things that are wrong and, and you're, you're standing there for me? The problem is that's become your identity. You are all about perseverance. You're all about being right. You are so concerned about being righteous that you lost touch with me. Ooh. That never happens, does it? God's people are so consumed with being right and determining who's right, who's wrong, who's in, who's out, that we forget Jesus. That never happens, does it? And then we look at the things of the world. Have you discovered, if you watch Fox News, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, according to Fox News, and if we could just be a little bit more conservative in our worldview, everything would be okay. But then if you watch MSNBC, and oh, by the way, on my, on my cable, they're right next to each other. <laughs> one's on the right, one's on the left. No, no. But, but, the, but, but then MSNBC says, hey, guess what? The world's going to hell in a handbasket. And if you could just lean a little more left, left, then things would be all better. Right? 
none of us ever get caught in that kind of thing and all that stuff that's going on out there and things that are being pushed down. And here's Jesus saying, hey, you know what? You guys, you're doing a great job. Church in Ephesus, you're hanging in there. The problem is you're buying the hype. You're buying the left. You're buying the right. You're buying the, you have to be the righteousness of the world. But then we read other stories where we're told we have no righteousness at all. We are saved by the grace of Jesus, period, because we've put the Easter story back on the back shelf because we're so busy pressing on these other things, we forget we are saved by God's mercy, period. We are saved by what it is that Christ has done for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. But somewhere along the line, we get so busy being righteous. And let's be honest. Ooh, wait a minute now. Preacher going to preach here. Going to get right on the edge of some toes. Sometimes we believe it's our job to convict the world of sin. Amen? We're busy looking around saying, hey, this one doesn't do this, and this one doesn't do this, and I've got the measuring stick, and you're not measuring up, and all those different kind of things, right? And then, then those words of Jesus kind of come rolling back into our brain and said, oh, by the way, when it comes to sin, it is up to the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin in accordance to righteousness. That, my friends, is not our job. Wait a minute. I didn't stutter. I didn't misspeak. If you are following Jesus, it is not your world to convict the world of sin. That's God's job. Woo! Here's another one. Here's another one. This is so good. This is so good. How do I know this? Because I, I, I've lived in this world for 40 years, okay? And, and so I get caught in this trap. I, I know exactly what I'm talking about because this is me. The other part about it is we also are convinced it's our job to go build the church, That somehow in our strength and our capacity, we're going to the kingdom of God. And then Jesus has the audacity to say through the apostle Paul, oh, by the way, some water, some plant, but it's God who gives the increase. By the way, how many of you went looking for Jesus or was it Jesus that came looking for you? Come on now. The Easter story gets put on the shelf because we're busy. Notice what Jesus said to the Ephesians. It's not because you're doing bad things. It's good. That's good stuff. It's just that you kind of forgot the whole point, which is being in relationship with me. Never happens to any of us, does it? Some, I, I hate to use this word in church, but I'm about to use it. Sometimes we're more about religion than we are about relationship. Just a thought. So if Jesus is saying, hey, you know, we got a, we got a little problem here. I would like you to re- repent. Churchy kind of word, right? Can we be honest? What in the world does repent mean? You know, and we can pull out the actual to, to turn away from and da 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 you know, and we can bring out the time. But what does that look like? What does that mean? He talks about repent. Return to your first love. All right. 
I ask you about flying on the airplane, right? Are you ready? All right, this is even harder because some of us have a hard time remembering back that far. Do you remember falling in love? Ooh, that's a whole different deal, isn't it? My girlfriend, my girlfriend for the last 39 years, who delivered babies all night long, who was sitting there and say, Dave, it's about time to wrap it up. I remember when I met Linda. September 19th, 19. I know, it's how long ago it was, 19. 1982, September 19th, 1982, we were at a, a, a church picnic. I was kind of working as a volunteer um, assistant pastor getting ready to go to seminary. Linda was just had started her last year of nursing school, and she lived about 90 miles away uh, from where we were where we at church, and she happened to come home that weekend with a friend, a mutual friend that we had. Um, and at this church picnic, right, we're playing touch football. My wife is the most ungifted athlete that there is. I love her to death, but, but, you know, she didn't grow up around sports and things like that. And then she married, you know, somebody that does sports for a living uh, kind of thing. And so I just remember, and so she had these purple overalls on. She looked good. Uh, Can I just say, you look good. You still look good, baby. So anyway, she has the purple overalls on, and I'm kind of like thinking she's pretty cute. And do you ever have those moments when you can kind of tell you're getting a little vibe back, like maybe she thinks you're all right too? Come on, I'm talking about first, you know, falling in love, right? Okay? And there's this kind of thing, and there's there's this... chemical thing going on here, and we're like, and then, so we do this, and, and, I, and I, I say, I'm going to make her feel really good, as unathletic as she is, I'm going to make her feel really good, so we're playing this touch football game, and I said to her, I said, just go around, you know, like two steps, and I'll just toss you the ball, okay, anybody could do that, so she, we snap the ball, she takes two steps, I throw it over here. A girl on the other side, this mutual friend, who I found out later kind of liked me, and she was picking up on the vibe of what was happening here, right? So she's playing on the other team. She's built like a middle linebacker. That's not a, you know, I love middle linebackers. But I, so I toss this ball to Linda, she catches it, and this girl, like lightning, boom! In two-hand touch, Touched her with all of two hands and everything else. I mean, she just laid her out. (laughs) Boom. And you know what's terrible? It made me love her more. That's kind of like, so later that night, this was in Niagara Falls, New York, and we, later that night after the picnic, we we went to Niagara Falls, Ontario, and we were just walking around, and we have this other girl with us who just laid her out earlier in the day, and she's walking with us, and you know how you, you know, they're, they're kind of wedging in between you, and I'm trying to just get a couple minutes alone with her just to be able to get to know her and talk to her, and this other girl keeps, and it just, anyway, it was this weird thing, but eventually, like the next night, I asked her if she'd be willing to go out, and she said yes, and things like that. Well, unbeknownst to me, there's all this other stuff going on, okay? 
So my pastor comes to me like the next morning at church. So the picnic was on Saturday. We'd been kind of hanging out Saturday night. The pastor comes to me Sunday morning and said, so are you going to marry this girl? Like, what? I don't know anything about her. He said, it was pretty obvious the sparks were flying. Unbeknownst to me, she calls her mom and dad that night after we meet. And I find out years later that she tells her mom and dad, hey, I met this guy, and mom hangs up the phone and said, that's it, that's the one, she's gone. Did you ever have those when you fall in love kind of things? And it's pretty exciting. And, and then I was getting ready to go to seminary in Kentucky, and she was going back to school in Rochester. And so we developed this really, really interesting relationship kind of long distance. Now, you need to know, this is not practice. Maddie, plug your ears. We met in September. We were engaged before Thanksgiving. We were married 11 months almost to the day that, from the time we met. Okay? Now, partly because at that point in time, I was 27 years old, and God was trying to do some catch-up work in my life because it took me to 25 to meet Jesus, and there was a lot of work that had to get done that, to kind of get back in place. Anyway, so I'm, we're dating and things like this. See if this sounds familiar to you. When you were dating, when you first fell in love, was it hard to want to spend time together? Now, we were 15 hours away from one another. I was in Kentucky. She was in New York. Um, Back then, we didn't have cell phones. I know, I know, hard to believe. Our big excitement would be that we would save up change during the week so that we could get to a pay phone. Yes, there used to be phones that were public, and you put coins in them, and you could call somebody. That, I, do they even exist anymore? Do pay phones exist? And so we would call each and that was the big deal. On Sunday, we would call each other, and we'd be kind of waiting. You know what we used to do? We used to write letters. I got a whole stack of letters still in my dresser drawer with swack written on the back of it. Anybody know what that is? Sealed with a kiss. And sometimes they'd come smelling like perfume and all these different kind of things. And they were wonderful. I can't even tell you what they said, but I couldn't wait to get it. And then, when I was in seminary, we used to wrap up class like Friday afternoon. And, and then because so many guys uh, were pastors or preaching on the weekend, we didn't have class on Monday. So I would hop on my car like early afternoon on Friday, drive 15 hours through the snow and the ice and the cold up to New York. She'd catch a ride from somebody, get to my parents' house, and we'd spend the weekend together at my parents' house. And this was how exciting it was. She was preparing for her boards, her nursing boards. And I was studying first-term Greek. And so we would sit together, and she's studying, and I'm studying, but you know what? We were in the same room. We were together. And the whole point of what I think Jesus is saying there, hey, Ephesians, you've lost your first love. You've lost the excitement, the energy of just even spending time together. Not because you're awful people, not because you're bad. You're so busy doing good things You're so busy pressing on. You're so busy convicting the world of righteousness and sin that you forgot this is all about me. 
and our relationship with one another. And pretty soon, it feels a whole lot like Wednesday after Easter, doesn't it, that this is just some mundane routine. What in the world happened? And Jesus said, I want you to repent. I want you to turn away from this and return to your first love. It wasn't hard work. Linda, was it hard work back then? It's a lot harder work 39 years into it. Because let's be honest, how many of you have been married for a while? Some of you have been married for a while? If you've been married for a while, do you ever wake up and the last person you want to see is the person you're married to? Come on. Careful now, they may be sitting right next to you. So be careful what you say. But there are those days where, like, it's not that you don't love them. You're in it. You're committed. You're going the long haul and things like that. But sometimes it's like, uh, you know, I'm dragging your carcass again along with me today. Um, and, And it gets that way at times. And the reason it gets that way is sometimes we forget the first love, the thing that drew us there in the first place, like purple overalls. And as goofy as that sounds, we have little signs all around our house, and our children have made these things over the years for us as we celebrate anniversaries, and almost every one of them has a mention of purple overalls in them. Because that was it. That was part of the story. What's your Jesus story? What's your Jesus story? I'm not suggesting you can live in the moment when you first met Jesus, but do you remember what it was like when you first met Jesus? You know what that's like? The excitement, the the liberation that somehow you felt like nothing else mattered except knowing him. You weren't trying to save the world then. You weren't trying to convict the world. You weren't trying to to promote righteousness. You weren't trying to do all these different kind of things. You just wanted to hang around with your master. You just wanted to hang around with the one that set you free. How many of you have watched the show The Chosen? Any of you watch The Chosen? It's such a great program. If you had not, I don't get any royalties. I encourage you to watch it, though. It's really cool. And what the thing that I found, particularly in the first season of watching The Chosen, these people would have these different encounters, and we have read about them in the Bible, right? And we, they have these different encounters, and I found myself literally in tears. And I'm not a guy that cries a lot. Not true. My daughter would tell you, yes, the tin man has a heart. But I do cry every once in a while. The older I get, if it's a sentimental movie, I find myself weeping or if dogs die or things like that. But I find myself in these moments because the way they produce this show, you can almost feel something changing in that person when they meet Jesus. Something changes. Their lostness, their brokenness, their captivity, whatever it happens to be, in the moment they encounter Jesus, they are set free. And Jesus never says to them, oh, now, hey, get your theology together. I want you to start practicing doing this. I want you to do... No, he just says what? Very often to them, come and follow me. Join in the story. Be a part of it. Maybe 
maybe that's the first love that he's talking about. Not trying to live there, not trying to manufacture something, but sometimes we do all these remembrance things in church. You, you know, remember this and remember that, remember that. Maybe Jesus is just saying, remember when we first started out together? Remember what that was like? Don't lose it. Don't lose that. All these other good things are great. I, I commend you for them, but if you lose me in the process, what's the point? In fact, did you notice he even threatens to take away their charter? I'll remove your lampstand if you don't get back to the main thing. And the main thing is being in relationship with me. I don't know what that does for any of you. I don't know what it does necessarily for me other than to constantly remind me that this is not about my performance. I think that's what this really comes down to. This is not about my performance. Now, let's be honest. You just heard a spectacular sermon. See, when I was pastoring, this is when we'd take the offering right afterward. Some weeks it was empty. But what preachers do is we'll go home and we'll analyze everything we said. Was it good? Wasn't, wasn't it not good? Was I effective? Was I not effective? And things like that. And then my wife, who over the years has learned, don't critique the message on Sunday afternoon. Wait till Monday when I don't still own it so much. But see, that's part of the issue because very often, at least, I, was find, I find my identity in my performance and what I do and what I manufacture and what I produce. And I'm here to tell you, as we've already said, none of us are producing anything. It is by God's grace and his mercy. Now, I'm not saying we don't have a responsibility to be faithful. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, remember when you first met Jesus, and it was all about him, well, I'm here to tell you, it's still all about him. It still is. If you want to share something with the people around you, just that. It's all about Jesus. Always has been, and when it's all said and done, it will be. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you just for the reminder in your word that, that this just isn't some story that we put on a shelf, but we have the possibility and the reality of being able to live in the resurrection because you've invited us into relationship with yourself through the resurrected Christ, our Savior. And so I pray for my friends as I pray for myself that, Lord, you, you just do whatever you want to do with this message. But if it just reminds us once again when we first met Jesus, then would you use it as that? Remind us that it's him and him alone that makes all the difference in our lives and in the life of our world. So again, move in this place, speak to our hearts, and whatever that repent thing is, whatever that means to each of us here today, would you just move us one step closer 
one step closer to, to relationship with Jesus than when we came in the room this morning. And for all of this, we give you praise in Christ's name. Amen.